We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Sweet 16, March Madness, bets. We got to figure out who, you know, if our brackets are busted, who we can actually bet on to recoup some of our money. Also, maybe some NBA futures towards the end. Yes, folks, we are talking about basketball on today's Pat Mayo Experience. An outlier, but this is the time of year that it is, and I'm you know just getting ramped up for basketball, so this is perfect. Uh, also, if you're out there right now, please smash the like button to the video, and in the comment section, give me your updated winner of this year's March Madness NCAA Tournament. Joining me on the line, you may know him as the Sports Cheetah. It's Preston Johnson. What's going on, my man? How's it going? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. Can you tell everyone what you've been up to since leaving ESPN? Because people have been asking me. I was like, well, I'll just have Preston on. He can explain it to it for himself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I'm trying to do a little bit of everything right now. I am mostly once a week doing an NBA game where it's this alternate broadcast. Uh, I'm doing it through Yahoo, but it's really through the NBA where on League Pass, you know, you have the home away option. Well, once a week, they're doing a betting broadcast option where we're basically just calling the game. And we're watching it live and we're able to kind of talk about the in-game lines, futures bets for the teams included. And, you know, we can't really carry that conversation on for forever. So we talk regular general hoops too. Um, so it's a pretty fun time. Good time. If I usually turn down these days, you know, the regular announcers anyways. So I'm kind of a snob in that regard. So I've, I think people have enjoyed this and it's good to kind of just bring a betting platform to the public and to the audience. And it's cool. The NBA is forward thinking and doing that. Yeah, so hopefully that this becomes so successful, this can translate over into other sports. I've talked about this yeah. so many times on the show that I'm just waiting for football to launch this. Maybe with a deal with Amazon now that they can actually provide, like they'll have the scouting feed. Let's just get True. the gambling and or fantasy feed, and I'll be good with that. And I'm waiting for the all gambling feed for golf. They tried it, and it was hilariously bad as they put a whole bunch of people on both the desk. How long ago was that? 
Uh, it was at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, so Super Bowl weekend. They did an all-gambling broadcast. Okay. I and didn't they, see that. They, well, no one did. And they <laughs> featured a whole bunch of people who have clearly never bet on anything in their lives. So that's always fun. Mm. That kills it from the get-go. Yeah, there's nothing you can do there. No, I, I think their idea was, oh, we'll take people who just love golf and turn them into betters, not realizing that the only people mm. seeking out an online alternate feed are the people who are already betting on it. <laughs> That's true. So let's talk tournament. Um, does anyone have a good bracket anymore, or is everyone just kind of fucked for the entire year? <laughs> I think a lot of people still have their, at least their final four has a chance. Uh if you went with Houston or, or Loyola Chicago and you like the underdog story there, Baylor's alive, Gonzaga's alive, Michigan, Alabama, Florida State, and the other region, they're, they're all alive. But it, I think a lot of people are, are pretty dead in the sense that they don't have, you know, nearly the 16 teams that are in this and probably sitting at like 10 of 16 and just hoping they get the final four exactly right um, for your bracket pool or whatever. So it was fun though. It made, I think uh, the stat is that it was the most, upsets and what like the general public calls an upset or the tournament and NCAA calls an upset is if it's a five seeds lower. So 11 over a six, you know, a 12 over a five, et cetera. Uh, it was the most they've ever had in a, you know, in a first round, a second round. And it's one short of being the most they've ever had in an entire tournament. I believe it's 13 and we're at 12. So that makes it fun for fans. And if you're betting and you're betting on underdogs, even better. Well, I mean, I always enjoy betting on a good underdog. So we hit some like big money line. Mm -hmm numbers in the first round and even the second round but like you know, when you have a 15 win a 13 win all of a sudden or a 14 win you're looking a whole lot better and it can kind of recoup some of the losses that you made along the way just because you're getting paid three to one four to one on your For money sure. but when we look at the round of 16 the sweet 16 is there any team that jumps out to you right away spread wise or even money line wise that is probably the route that we want to go like we're going to keep riding Loyola chicago here they're six and a half point favorites we can, we can go to that game first. I'll say this. I think there's a general theme, and you'll find this in betting markets in general, no matter what league it is, what sport it is. Uh, but the markets or the, you know, the public perception tends to uh, revert to recency, is the way I'll call it. And so people remember a lot of these upsets. They like the story with Loyola Chicago. But also remember Oregon State. They're a 12 seed that just you know had two upset wins over Tennessee and Oklahoma State. And I think this is a spot where – you know, let, let think of it this way. So before Oregon State went on that run in the Pac-12 tournament and then winning these two games in the big dance, if I had lined this game, Loyola, Chicago, Oregon State, so we're talking like two, two and a half weeks ago, my personal projections would have lined it closer to nine. Okay. And then after that Pac-12 tournament, you know, I'm adjusting some data. Obviously the Beavers graded out well over those few games in the tournament. So I'm adjusting them up. Even before the big dance, I would have lined this more like eight. And here we are now, Oregon State pulls off two upsets, Remember, Loyola Chicago just smashed Illinois, though. So they've also kind of bumped up and been upgraded. I think this should be more like seven and a half. Uh, obviously been upgrading the Beavers yet again as they've been winning more and more games. But ultimately, they're not a team that shot very well all year long. And they've just shot pretty well from three, especially their last six games. And I think Loyola Chicago's defense uh, will be able to kind of stifle them to some extent. My personal buy point would be more like minus six. It's minus six and a half, so it's close. Uh, but that's the side I would look but kind of, I guess, taking that a step further than looking at some of these other games, it's interesting because generally you think, oh, sharp side, you're supposed to pick underdogs, this and that. Look, some of these underdogs, because it's been such a wild opening weekend of tournament basketball, look, Oral Roberts, I think, is extremely overvalued. And they're a 15 seed. I think they're the second one ever to make it into the Sweet 16. They beat Ohio State. They beat Florida. 
look like I think they were the worst tournament or I should say defense and adjusted defensive efficiency entering the tournament. They've escaped twice down the stretches where Ohio State couldn't score late. Florida, I don't think, scored the last three or three and a half minutes, and Oral Roberts ends up winning that one. I think it should be like 13 and a half, though. I think it's a good sell time on Oral Roberts, as great as the story is. Arkansas is just that much better, and we're getting, in my opinion, minus 11, minus 11 and a half in the market. It's value. So that's probably my biggest discrepancy in a spread. And interestingly enough, it's on a favorite, and it's on a double-digit favorite, but I think it's just kind of looking back at what was reactionary to that first weekend and everyone's loves betting the underdog loves the story behind Oral Roberts. So let's just keep betting. I'm like, they could do it. Uh, when in reality, I think the minus 11s are just too low. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the re- recency bias that comes in with a lot of this stuff. I can't imagine the take on Arkansas is going to be very high because anyone yeah. who's watched 20 minutes of the tournament, Oral Roberts probably is the largest story. The thing that surprised me the most though, about the Oregon state Loyola line is that Loyola, Obviously, they have a lot of pub behind them, and they were successful the last time that we saw the NCAA tournament in 2019. But I was actually kind of surprised that it was only six and a half, that so many people were... I couldn't imagine anyone looking at this game and being like, oh, give me Oregon State versus the spread. I know that they've come through as underdogs the first two rounds, but just the the pub, Sister Jean, the social media coverage, the ESPN coverage <laughs> for Loyola is just so much higher that I actually thought, and maybe we'll see this as the week goes along, that the number will just drift higher and higher on them because I can't imagine who's betting on Oregon State. It's a good point. There's still a lot of days left. Maybe six and a half is going to be kind of, you know, buying the bottom of, of Loyola Chicago markets. So uh, you could be right. For me personally, I generally want about a one and a half point discrepancy between my number, my personal projection, and then where the market's at. So that's why when I'm closer to seven and a half, I'd like six. Uh, but six and a half, you're right. It, it might be the bottom. There's just going to be more and more coverage surrounding the sister jeans story, Loyola Chicago again what they've been doing. Crutwig obviously is a potential guy that could win most outstanding player in this tournament if they keep making a big run. Uh, so you're probably right. I'll be surprised if we see the six. Uh, did we all severely underrate the Pac-12 coming into this tournament or did they just get just a weird amount of breaks going through in the first two rounds? I, I have to pat myself on the back because I'm, I'm a West Coast guy and, and people were calling me in, in a couple of shows I did, you know, heading into the tournament and they're like, oh, West Coast elitism and here we are, the Big Ten has one team in the Sweet 16. The Pac-12 has four. They covered and then won outright every single game except Colorado finally on that last day lost to, to Florida State. I mean, they just smashed. Now, I'll say this. I'm not going to take credit for it, but I mean, we talked about the Big Ten narrative is that, hey, it's the toughest conference in basketball. Now, a lot of the – when you look at like Ken Palm or if you look at Bart Torvik or there's some other public efficiency metrics you can look at for college basketball, they're adjusting for strength of opponent. And when all your opponents are in the Big Ten and you think that they're all really, really good, sometimes that can get overblown. And so if you looked at just raw efficiency numbers versus the adjusted ones, the biggest discrepancy in raw efficiency was the Big Ten. I'm talking about offense, like their ability to score points, right? Some of these teams that ranked in the top 25 and you know adjusted efficiencies were in the 100 to 150 range in the Big Ten. And obviously, I think those got just a little bit overblown. It's probably somewhere in the middle. I also think people tend to still they lack the ability to grasp randomness if we ran this tournament back from the start again next week i bet three or four big 10 teams are in the sweet 16. it was also partly random and then on the other extreme side the pac-12 was the team that benefited from the randomness where they were just hot and you know won a bunch of games but i do think you know ucla for example uh, and i am a bruins fan and so this is what i talk about with people they lost their last four games of the tournament 
everyone's like, oh, they're an 11 seed. They're in the playing game against Michigan State, Big Ten, so good, Tom Izzo, et cetera. Usually ends up winning that, but then, I mean, they were a dog against BYU. Then obviously Abilene Christian uh, game is a nice setup for them because they had the upset over Texas. But the point is you lost the last four games of the year, but you need to look into it a little bit, okay? All four of those games were against tournament teams who, by the way, all played extremely well in this tournament as well. And three of those four losses came down to the final possession, basically. So you say, I mean, while it looked bad down the stretch, they lost four in a row. I mean, they were right there. Uh, and so they were a team that I think was drastically overlooked. Um, but I'll say going into their matchup against Alabama, this is the first time now in the tournament, three straight times I had value on UCLA. I actually think Alabama should be closer to seven. And this is six, six and a half in the market. So this is the first time I would lean the other way going against the Bruins, similar with Oregon State. I think now, you know, these Pac-12 teams may be getting a little overvalued. So it's kind of like those ebbs and flows or waves of the markets and, and buying at the right times on certain teams. This wouldn't be the time now to back the Pac-12, in my opinion. Well, it's always fun when I had one Pac-12 team in my final four, and that team was Colorado. So that's uh, always a, oh, no. a, a great play on my part. Everyone wins except for them. That's always the route that you want to go down. Who do you think is the most susceptible one seed that is left based on their draw? I think, I mean, right now, just off the the sheer prices, you know, Michigan versus Florida State, outside of Isaiah Livers' injury, I think, you know, he's Michigan's best three-point shooter, second-best all-around player, I think most people would argue, uh, potential NBA guy. So I think they're going to play cautious with him and his, his injury. Uh, look, that was three and a half. Now it's down to two and a half some spots. So money coming in on the Seminoles that's influencing the market. And so just a price that cheap relative to, you know, Gonzaga's laying 13, 13 and a half. Uh, Baylor's laying seven now against Villanova. The, it's It's got to be Michigan. And even after that, you know, I think Alabama has, assuming they take care of UCLA, a great chance of, of winning that East Regional Final against Michigan, if Michigan even can beat Florida State. So it has to be the Wolverines, uh, not because of the Big Ten thing. I mean, it's part of it, I guess, right? right? They're the only one left. And maybe the Big Ten's all overrated, so therefore Michigan's overrated. Uh, but I'm not looking down that path. I think this should be more like a one-and-a-half-point spread. So People that got the Florida State plus three and a half, plus threes, I think those were decent bets. And you know, I think it should be not quite a 50-50 game. Michigan wins this more like 53.7% if you're looking at the exact numbers that I have. But but it's close. And so they're definitely the most susceptible. Uh, unless Livers makes a, a drastic recovery and appearance, and, and that'll help them quite a bit. Uh, it's still currently, as we speak right now, plus three at DraftKings Sportsbook. So if you did want to grab okay, Florida nice. State, you, yeah. you can still do that. I felt like I, not that I'm a huge NCAA basketball head by any means, as the first moments of college basketball I watched were the first round of the tournament this year, but is Houston actually legit? Because everyone I talked to didn't seem like they were like, ah, they're kind of like a fool's gold two seed, but they seem to have a pretty open path to get to the final four now. So yeah, the path's fantastic now, and they should have lost to Rutgers. I think Rutgers were up nine or 10 with a few minutes left. And then Houston goes on the big run. So that's another reason people are going to double down on that sentiment that Houston doesn't deserve to be a two seater. They at least aren't going to be a team that can make a run. Uh, I'll say this. I think to the extent that Loyola Chicago was underrated and underseeded, right. When they were, there was an eight or nine seed. Uh, I, I think Houston was probably overseeded slightly, but also both teams are still top 15 teams in the country. So, uh, yeah, Houston maybe doesn't deserve to be a two. Maybe they're not the quality of a two seed. The resume may have been, but I think a four seed would have been absolutely fair. And you could even argue a three. So I'm not going to say they're extremely overrated. Uh, they definitely have talent and their efficiency numbers, both sides of the ball are fantastic. The question for me, and I don't know if you have 
an opinion on this. Are, are you on the East Coast? I think you're on the East Coast, or at least you were at some point, and then you've moved moved around. But Syracuse, you have any ties to Syracuse or this two three zone? Everyone hears about it. No one can beat a two three zone, and it shocks me. Even in the NBA starting to incorporate zones more, it just boggles my mind that these players cannot figure out how to beat a two three zone. And Syracuse again now as a 11 seed in the Sweet 16. I mean, I, the only ties I have to Syracuse is I didn't go to Syracuse and a lot of my <laughs> colleagues and friends did. So it makes me actively root against Syracuse because I just, feel like a lot of people have. I, that's why I just thought to ask, because 50 percent of the people I've talked to are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I went to Syracuse. Like All of a sudden, the last few weeks, everyone's letting us know. Um, but anyway, so I had to check, make sure you weren't a, an alumni either. No, so so it works uh, one of two ways. So if you're in broadcasting uh, or production, the chance of you running, especially in sports, because the sports uh, program at Syracuse is awesome, and that's where just a lot of these networks and even people online uh, okay. just originate from. So if they populate a lot of the jobs. It's just like when you see writers around like Northwestern is such a hotspot for sports journalism that all of a sudden that if Northwestern is good at anything, there's just an outsized voice about like, Oh, look how good Northwestern (laughs) is almost just, it's exactly the same way. So if you are reading something and Northwestern is good, that's going to be blown out of proportion. Or if Syracuse is good generally, you know, unless Donovan McNabb is, was Donovan McNabb Syracuse? He was here, Syracuse, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So if if they're good in football, that we'll, we'll hear about it all the time, but whenever you know they have a modicum of talent in basketball, it's like they're the greatest team of all time. So I feel like that does influence the markets either way. But I, I just like rooting against them because I, you know, I, I have no rooting interest in any of this uh, in terms of okay. having loyalty to a team. So I just want to see everyone miserable because that's just the type of person that I am, <laughs> especially the people that it's went true. there too. Cause it's all like, Oh, Syracuse so great about everything. You, you, I mean, you must hear it. I mean, if you're a UCLA fan, uh, you must have a lot of yeah. USC fans in your life too. Right. Dude, that's, Oh man, that is one of my biggest pet peeves or, or just the thing that puts me on tilt more than actual betting on games and gambling is the fact how many friends I had growing up that were not USC fans at all until the Pete Carroll era with Reggie Bush and Matt Leinard and everyone. All of a sudden, USC football got good. And every one of my friends jumped ship from UCLA and were like, oh, no, I've always been a Trojans fan, big USC guy. And it's total BS. And so I am, I guess, contrarian in the sense that I stuck with UCLA. And it's been fun to finally have a basketball team, at least this year, Uh, that's been relevant and uh, i'm excited to see hopefully the next few years they can keep improving well i mean we didn't even talk about oregon in usc that's the other sweet 16 game right now usc's favored Mm -hmm. by two and a half points at the moment on DraftKings sportsbook do you have a lean in this game either way like how do they rate out when they played each other during the season so they played each other once and well let me preface uh i guess oregon's prospects in general just because it's really intriguing. And they were the team I think that had more upside or a higher ceiling than people anticipated entering the tournament for a few reasons. One being Will Richardson uh, point guard shoots like 40% from three. He went off against Iowa. He didn't play a single game for the ducks until February 4th, I believe it was right. So they played this majority of their season data is without Richardson, which is a big deal. Then Chris Duarte, who is their go-to everything guy, 43% from three. He's a prospective first-round NBA draft pick in a draft class that's absolutely stacked. Okay, he was dealing with a foot injury for a lot of the season, and he hasn't really been healthy until the last month. So when you're looking at Oregon as a team, as far as their ceiling, it's like if you only looked since February 4th, 
they grade out a lot better than they do prior to that. And for good reason, they have two of their best scorers and shooters now playing. Dana Altman, a coach that in the past, I believe his record now, since he took over at Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament and the main March Madness Big Dance tournament, 82 and 40 against the spread. He just always is over exceeding, overachieving expectations. And so here we are now, again, I think defensively, they can throw different schemes at USC and they, they have an opportunity. Uh, a really sharp group bet the USC side though yesterday. Like this was minus one, which I thought was closer to fair. I am more bullish on Oregon and I did think they were going to beat Iowa in that uh, second round matchup. And here we are now it's minus two and a half. So I like the Oregon side at plus two and a half. I'd love it if it kind of kept trickling up to three. Don't know if we're going to see that. Uh, but if either way, I do think it's getting a little bit out of control. I, I think Oregon's just still a little bit undervalued in the market and, and a team that uh, can really do it all uh, from a coaching aspect defensively and then offensively with the weapons they have. Uh, which one of these teams do you think that gives Gonzaga the most problems in the next round? So I actually been talking to uh, an assistant coach at a team that played Oregon this year. And I believe they got absolutely run out of the building. Um, <laughs> he told me that outside of maybe Baylor, but that wouldn't be until the championship game. He thinks Oregon would give Gonzaga the biggest issues because they have the size and athleticism inside to hang with Timmy to rim protect Jalen Suggs drives. They have like Duarte who can, you know, chase around Chris Bird on the outside off screens and is a good wing defender. Again, a guy that's probably going to be drafted in the first round of a stacked NBA draft coming up this year. Uh, so I, I think it actually is Oregon, which is interesting. They're a dog to USC, but uh, I think USC would lack the scoring enough to ultimately hang with Gonzaga when it's all said and done. They Oregon, like I mean, we just saw them just go absolutely, you know, lethal against Iowa. Didn't miss a thing. And if they're supernova again against Gonzaga, that's one of the you know few teams I think that can really just score with Gonzaga anyway. And so I, I go with the Ducks when it's all said and done outside of Baylor in the championship game potentially. Uh, I'm just looking at the final four odds for the moment. So USC is three to one to make the okay. final four, and Oregon is six to one to make the final four those odds seem off based on a two and a half point spread with these two teams playing each other that I don't know if there's any value on Oregon at six to one because I would imagine if they're going up against Gonzaga let's say it's Gonzaga versus Oregon in the next round like what do you think the spread in that game is like eight and a half nine ten oh I can tell you right now so yeah a lot of it they're you know when you're doing like a final four futures bet they're projecting about you know what the point spread would be going forward into that next matchup. My personal projection right now, now, and I'm bullish Oregon. I'm also very bullish Gonzaga. I've just, since the beginning of the year, just thought they were a tier above everyone else, but I think it would be close to 10 and maybe even 10 and a half. I mean, look, Gonzaga's like 13 and a half right now to Creighton. So, I mean, and so I know Oregon's, you know, they're better than Creighton. I think they do have more upside and I've tried to kind of shade my numbers and projections to the since February 4th data rather than, pre-February 4th, which I, you know, I was explaining a little bit about earlier. Um, but even so, Gonzaga's just that much better. And so the 6-1 to one isn't necessarily valued because now not only do they have to win, we'll call it about a coin flip game against USC, but then they have to win as a theoretically a double-digit dog to Gonzaga. And so, yeah, 6-1 to one isn't actually value. Um, if you want to get cute, you want to do I, I, what I would suggest for people that uh, are at least familiar a little bit with some betting stuff, you bet the money line now against USC – then you roll it over and you bet the money line again against Gonzaga. I think that would have a better payoff yeah. than six to one would right now. 
it, it would be plus 120 to beat USC, then it'd be around plus 400 to beat Gonzaga, maybe plus 425, depending on what the spread is. Yeah, you might get more like an 8-1 to one payoff yeah. in the end instead of 6-1. to one. Yeah. Are, are, Do you think that there are any values uh, to make the Final Four of some of the under-seeded type teams? Like, if Syracuse can advance, they are 5-1. to one to make the final four. Maybe if Oregon state can pull off this upset somehow against Loyola, like they're still seven to one to make the final four. What is, what is Loyola Chicago themselves? Uh, they're plus plus one sixty. I think that's value. Okay. I, I, I really think they're going to take care of Oregon state. I know the Beaver story is fun. Nice little run. Uh, it's a, it's a different class. And we saw it against Illinois. Like I, I, you never want to take too much of a reaction to one game, but what Loyola Chicago did to Illinois and basically just, I mean, you, you came away from that game thinking, wow, if they ran this 10 times, Villa Chicago would probably win the majority of them. They were just that much better. Maybe eventually Illinois figures out how to counter a few things, but um, just on an IQ level and execution level, Villa Chicago is probably the best team in the tournament, even more so than Gonzaga, right? So I, I think they're going to take care of business. And then even if it is Houston, which would be worst case scenario in the Elite Eight matchup for Loyola Chicago, uh, I only have them about a two point dog to Houston and depending on the results, you know, maybe it's not even two. it could be more you know, closely aligned to a 50, 50 game. So, and if Syracuse upsets Houston, then you have plus plus one sixty on Loyola Chicago as a pretty big favorite against Syracuse. So I, and by the way, and I trust them to figure out how to be a two, three zone. So that's actually in that region, uh, a team that I still think offers the most value because I, I do like them here in the matchup against Oregon state. This tournament season, take care of your hair and your holes with the best tools for the job. We're talking about our sponsors, Manscaped, the global leaders in male grooming from head to toe. And when the clock winds down in March, be clutch and avoid the upset with the Manscaped Performance Package to keep all your hair and holes trimmed. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the Manscaped movement. Start taking care of your balls today with 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using code MAYO for exclusive offer. Your bracket isn't supposed to be perfect, but with the Manscaped Performance Package, you can be confident that your nose, ear, and ball pubes are. You ever try to pluck disgusting nose hair? Yeah, it's the worst. That makes the Manscaped Performance Package the ultimate men's hygiene bundle and the number one seed overall this March. Included in the package is the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. It provides proprietary, skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs, even those delicate holes. And 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair, major turnoff. And if you're not a catch to begin with, you're in an even bigger hole. Plus, your purchase goes towards a great cause because they've partnered with the GOAT, Alex Caruso, and the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Manscaped is committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men ages 15 to 35 and giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as a part of the We Save Balls initiative. Get 20% off and free shipping with code MAYO at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code MAYO. When things get hairy, make sure to call on Manscaped in a clutch time. Thank you, Manscaped, for making our holes look sexy during the dance. It's time once again to tell you all about Magic Spoon. 
Growing up, cereal, one of the best parts about being a kid, but ever since I switched to Magic Spoon, I don't mind eating some cereal anymore because it's not full of sugar, that other junk that you don't eat. It's a great snack. It can be a great breakfast. And I've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy food in general. So that means I basically can't eat anything. And, you know, I tried protein shakes and, like, powders. And, listen, I'm not a bodybuilder. That stuff's not really for me. But I did find this was a delicious way to get my protein before and after workouts. So that's working out for me. There are zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving serving of Magic Spoon and only 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And we've got exciting news, friends. Magic Spoon will be releasing two amazing new flavors this month for a limited time only. We're talking about cookies and cream and maple waffle. That sounds awesome. And if that isn't the most comforting, indulgent combination, then I don't know what is. This is the ultimate treat yourself combo so make sure you get some while you can for a limited time or just build your own box available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are coca fruity frosted peanut butter and cinnamon i recommend fruity because those are awesome i would just get fruity and eat those all of the time if you're listening from canada magic spoon now ships to canada as well and you can do other things by mixing stuff together mix cocoa with peanut butter and it tastes exactly like a peanut butter cup except it's super nutritious so you have that going for you as well go to magicspoon.com mayo to grab the new limited edition cookies and cream maple waffle or a custom bundle of cereal to try today and be sure to use my promo code mayo at checkout to save five dollars off your order this offer is good now anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code MAYO at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for whatever reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com MAYO and use code MAYO to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, let's switch over to NBA for a second, because I was looking at the future odds to win the NBA championship this morning, and it's really tough with all of the injuries that have happened to all these preeminent franchises that the Nets and Lakers are now the co-favorites to win the NBA title, at least at DraftKings Sportsbook being plus 285 at the moment. Then it's the Clippers at plus 550. Then you have the Bucks at 7-1. to one. Is there a case for the Bucks here now that Holiday is back? They seem they've made their Tucker move, that they've been ousted in the playoffs the past few years, that maybe that they've been through this enough times now that, like, are we even certain that, I mean, on paper, Brooklyn's obviously the best team if Embiid isn't going to be 100% in the Eastern Conference. But, like, can we be sure that Durant can string together, like, four consecutive games without having to set out three weeks? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> we can't be sure. But they also are being, I think, extremely cautious now, which bodes well for the playoffs. He's going to come back, and I think he'll be nearly 100% healthy at that point. And that's really all that they need because, crazily, James Harden just carried this team since they traded for him without Kevin Durant. And so I'll say this. I, I was completely wrong. When they traded for Harden, I thought that there was, theoretically, after the trade value, the Bucks were plus 325 just to win the East. 
I didn't even want to deal with the Lakers potentially, or if it's the Clippers, whoever it may be in the, in the championship in the NBA finals, I said in the East bucks plus three twenty-five. like, look, they're being overlooked. They're going to figure out they had a slowish start. Drew holiday is an upgrade. Their problem in the past is that Mike Budenholzer would embrace their depth and he'd probably play 10 or 11 guys in these series. And, and just was too many guys. You only need to play seven or eight in a playoff series. If you're, you know, your backs to the wall, he was overplaying guys, not enough minutes to his key guys. I was like, you know, he, that's going to change now because they're not as deep. He'll just have to rely on, on Middleton holiday and Giannis, et cetera. And then what the Nets have done without Durant and even Kurt Kyrie Irving sitting out games in there, even the game last night against Portland, right? Harden, he's 50, 50 to even play the game. He ends up playing. They don't have Irving. They just lost Landry Shamet as well. Who's one of the, their top seven role guys that again, they're not even that deep because they had to give up pieces to even get James Harden in the first place. And everyone's been talking about the other defense. And my, again, going back to when this trade happened, I was like, they can score the points they want. If they can't get stops, it doesn't matter. Look, they're getting enough stops now, and it actually may not ultimately matter because they're just scoring more points than you. Like, they're that good. I think they are historically good offensively, and they don't even have Durant playing yet. And I underrated, for being someone that was always pro-analytics, pro-Houston Rockets, I myself underrated just how much of an impact James Harden has on the basketball court for an offense. And you surround him with, like, Joe Harris shooting 50% from three. Like, this is, like, I think – Ultimately, it's the Rockets on steroids, and the Rockets almost be one of the best you know, teams of the generation, Warriors, if Chris Paul doesn't go down with an injury, or if the Rockets don't miss 27 straight threes in a game seven. Like, I think this team, it's by far the Nets now in the East, unless there's a trade made. So I want to pretend like it's the Bucs, who, by the way, I think Giannis strained his knee. Recently, it was announced he's a sprained knee. He might miss some time now. So uh, that's not great news. And ultimately, for me, it's the Nets to win the East. And I'm not sure about the finals. I think plus 285 is... Uh, it's about like a tw- what, 26, 27% chance, you know, it's kind of the implied probability at that price. Uh, the Nets winning that, it, it's probably about fair. It's not like I'm rushing to bet the Nets now. Uh, I'm just admitting I was wrong thinking that they couldn't do it. And I think they're just a tier above everyone else in that Eastern Conference. Yeah. And like you said, we've seen them play without, you know, two of their three big names or just even Nuts, two, yeah. two on the court, one on the court. It doesn't really seem to matter at this point. I'd be curious to see how that plays itself out in a playoff series though, if they were to miss you know, one of them or even potentially two, let's just say sure. Durant and or Harden. So if you had Kyrie in there, that's great and everything. I, it seems like he is the third fiddle on that team though, doesn't he? I'll tell you this. I, I was, I was doing my numbers for uh, another show last week and and they want to show like my top 10 NBA teams and I was just doing them as currently constructed. So for example, the Lakers without Anthony Davis at the time, now they don't have LeBron, but they were seventh, but that's without Anthony Davis. Um, The Sixers had dropped from, I think fifth in my rankings to 11th because of Joel Embiid being out right now, the nets as of last week, at least, and they're just improving more and more without Durant. I had them grading out as the third best team in the NBA without Durant. They're already the third best team in the NBA, slightly, slightly, slightly behind Milwaukee. So if they were to meet and play the entire series without Kevin Durant, I still think that, again, depends maybe on home court and that advantage. But it's nearly a toss-up series. That's without Durant at all. Just throw them off the team. And Nets, Bucks is a 50-50 series, which is just crazy to think about then adding a top five guy or at least a top you know three scorer of all time potentially in Kevin Durant with all that he can do I, I just man I, I wish I wasn't so 
blind or a couple months back. It just, there was so much value on Brooklyn now and it's too obvious. And I'm, I'm still, as you can tell, upset at myself for that. So Brooklyn, uh, to win the East is even money. The Bucks are three to one. The Sixers are still five to one and the Heat are 12 to one. Is there a move that the Heat can make? Because the, obviously the NBA trade deadline has not happened as of us speaking, but you know, the rumors are sure. still floating around with Kyle Lowry about potentially getting him it seems like norman powell might be packaged in a deal with you know wherever lowry ends up going depending on what the return is going to be that could they vault themselves up as just maybe not as a favorite but as a team that could chip away just through defense alone at one of these super high scoring teams i definitely think that's the one trade someone could do that maybe uh, we were actually we were talking before we even hit record and i was like yeah i'm not following it too closely because there's nothing really trade wise in the market that could move the needle enough. That I got to hurry and bet something to try to get value out of it. Right. Like if there's a book that, you know, leaves a number and hangs a number up too long. The one that's closest though, is if the Sixers or the heat, those are the two teams that if they added Kyle Lowry and if they packaged it, for example, the Sixers, I believe Norman Powell only makes about 10 million a year, which is less than I thought. Uh, a friend of mine pointed it out last night when we were chatting and so they could swap essentially Danny Green for Norman Powell, which at this point in Danny Green's career, love the guy. Um, I think that would be an upgrade for the Sixers. So if they somehow added Norman Powell and Kyle Lowry, and I, I mean, that's a team that, again, they're already one of the top teams record-wise in the East. And if you can, like we're talking about, and again, I think this is all about who can construct the team that can hang with the Nets. You can put Kyle Lowry on Irving, Harden, right? You have Ben Simmons you can put on Harden especially. And even KD at times, you have Joel Embiid that's one of the best rim protectors in the league. That's, I think, the ultimate team that Doc Rivers, obviously, I think he's went from being an overrated coach to an underrated one after some of the runs he made with lesser talent, the Clippers, and what they're doing, for example, without Embiid right now, the Sixers keep winning games anyway. Uh, I think he can put together a game plan to, you know, at least hang with the Nets. So that's the trade. I think you nailed it. What would what, what, you say the prices were? Is it five to one on the Sixers, 12 to one on the Heat? My, my guess is that the Sixers, because they have such a high seat already, are already priced pretty fairly, even if they got Lowry. But the Heat side is the one because they've just started so slowly and people have kind of forgot that they were just in the NBA Finals. Uh, at 12 to 1, if they got a Lowry addition, even Norman Powell as well, um, that's a big upgrade. Some of the depth that they've been lacking. And that's probably the one that has the most value theoretically at that point. Uh, if we look at the West, the Lakers, obviously the favorites, plus 125. Then you have the Clippers, the Jazz, the Nuggets, like how long is Davis going to be out? And if he like, is there a chance that he just doesn't come back? Yeah, actually uh, what I've heard and you hear things left and right, uh, pretty concrete source though. Now it might be different because of LeBron injury, but hopefully he's just out four weeks. Like they're anticipating. I heard they were going to most, most likely just wait until the playoffs with Anthony Davis, that it was worse than they put on earlier saying he was going to be day to day or just, you know, two weeks, like, they, they were just going to wait, hope he was 100% come playoff time and, you know, use that opening series where they were going to likely be a big favorite to kind of reacclimate to Anthony Davis and getting him back in a groove. Uh, they might not be able to afford that now for a few reasons. One, they might be like in the playoff game, or I should say play-in game, where the NBA is doing the like seven through 10 seeds do a one-off kind of tournament just to get the seven and eight seed spots. If they're in that seven through 10, like, coming down to the final week stretch, they don't want to have one game on the line to determine if they even make the playoffs. So they're going to do all that they can to make sure they're in the five or six spot. 
Um, but they're like the Spurs and Mavs are right behind them. Like it's possible that they would drop off there. So uh, I think Davis probably has to come back as, as soon as he like literally can, as opposed to just waiting, waiting, waiting as long as they were hoping. Um, but look, without LeBron and him, I mean, two games so far, they've looked absolutely terrible. So uh, it could be even worse. Maybe they're a, a team that's a buyer come playoff time, but it's, or I should say trade deadline. But I will say this, I think there's other teams in the West realizing there's an opportunity here. And Denver's a team I think I would throw into the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes. I'd love to see him kind of bring a defensive fronted um, face to Denver alongside Jamal Murray and Jokic and, and MPJ. Or maybe they have to give up MPJ to get Lowry. I'm not sure how that would eventually work. Probably not. I think they would trade Gary Harris, Bull Bull, and like a pick or two. Um, but that's a team in the Western Conference that I think could make a move now because they've been you know in the Western Conference Finals a few times in recent years and they've been close. Uh, Get Kyle Lowry in there, you know, they're, they're a team that might contend in the West. So th- there seems to be a big separation in the odds in the West about who is actually going to win. Like I said, the Lakers are the favorite plus 20, 125. The Clippers are two and a half to one to win the West. The Jazz are four to one. Then there's a drop off in the odds. It goes straight to the Nuggets and the Suns, both at 12 to one. The Mavs are 25 to one. Is that just because like people like Luca and they want to bet on Luca? Like I don't understand <laughs> how the Mavs could be favored over like the Blazers right now who are 30 to one who could be in the mix to add someone as well like it it strikes me that in a playoff series if they can get the right complementary pieces that they can just be a lot of trouble because they have so much upside on the court at the same time that if all these teams are weaker than we thought at the very top end like why not Portland if they can get like Aaron Gordon let's say so I'll, I'll um I think this is a good question let's preface it with with this they actually played a, a back-to-back uh, a couple of days ago and both games I believe Dallas was a favorite in Portland both times so that's just kind of put into perspective the betting markets value Dallas overall as a better team than Portland now the records may not say it then uh, that has a lot to do with let's look at Dallas's season they start the year where it was an early start and They've been public about Luka Doncic not being in shape because he thought they were going to start in January and they started in December. Uh, and similarly, Porzingis couldn't play the first set of games because he was coming off of an injury and they were hoping that you know the season wouldn't start until January. As soon as Porzingis finally comes back in February, five of their main eight role players go down with COVID. They each miss two to three weeks. They're trying to deal with that. It's hard for them to win games with Luka, KP, and a bunch of like G League level guys, uh, understandably so. And now that they're all finally healthy right before the break and the all-star break. And then since they've just been a much better team and uh, they're a team that I think you have to be cautious with assessing those first two months of the season, you know, with some of the reasons that I mentioned. And they're a team that at the all-star break, I said, probably underachieved relative to, you know, their, their potential. And one of the teams that overachieved their underlying metrics, as far as how many wins they had versus, you know, whether defense grades and, and offense grades, it was Portland. Uh, so I think that's one of the teams that's a sell team and you've just seen Damian Lillard go absolutely bonkers in late in games and hits every 30 footer and they win all of these close games until finally last night, Brooklyn actually beat them, but, uh, they've just won a ton of games late that when it comes down to it, their team as a whole, especially, you know, they did get CJ McCollum back now. And if they can get use of Nurkic back, he'll help down, you know, so it's not Ennis Canner at center all day. Uh, I still think they're missing one more piece though, but you're right. If they made a deal, then you're, you're absolutely spot on, but I don't know if they have the assets to, they traded for Robert Covington already. You know, they, they actually, I think Dallas is a team that has assets where they could make a move on someone, even like Siakam. I heard a rumor about he actually might be a secret 
sneaky Raptor that everyone thinks isn't on the table because everyone else is, but actually Siakam is as well if they just blow it up completely. Um, so I, Dallas could make some moves, so could Portland, but Dallas is the better team despite, I think, people's general view and perception. Uh, MVP odds. I always got to talk about the MVP. Is anyone going to be left at the end of the season? And it's just going to be Jokic where it's like, oh yeah, he played the entire season. He's the MVP. <laughs> so unfortunately, yeah, I, I took a, I made a big wager on NBA. The only guy I bet preseason was Embiid and he was over 40 to one. And so I, I'm hoping he comes back and there's a chance and you know, if they keep winning without him. They might be cautious and just rest him longer. So he seems dead. LeBron's probably going to be out of it. Giannis has this knee strain issue that just got announced a little while ago. So if he's missing time for a while, then uh, we will see. I think Jokic is around even money. I'm not sure where DraftKings actually has it at, but that's probably a similar price range. So you're basically betting is it Jokic versus the field. And until today, Giannis was one of the main guys that could catch him in the field. And now he might not be. I think everyone hates the fact that Harden did the Houston thing early and like forced his way out and wasn't trying, but Theoretically, he's been one of the most viable players in the league. We talked about him in the Nets. Um, Luca and Dame, I think, are maybe two that come you know, from further back. Steph was partly in that discussion until he got injured. So you're right. I think it right now, and you, you hate to call it by default because that's like taking away from Jokic and what Denver's been doing. But by default, Jokic is going to win, I think, now. I, I just think he has to be the favorite, and he's had an extraordinary season on top of it. But uh, I don't think he was ready or the voters were ready to give it to him with all of the other guys in contention. And now they kind of have to be. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hate to say, unfortunately, because, but I am an Embiid investor. So uh, I think it's Jokic at this point. Well, Jokic is minus 110 right now to win the MVP. Embiid is still okay. second on DraftKings Sportsbook and the odds at 5-1. to one. Then LeBron and Giannis are next up. Then Harden, he's at 9-1. to one. Then it's Luka. Dame Lillard and Steph Curry, they're all 14, 14, and 20 to 1. Is there any way Kawhi, if the Clippers get the one seed, could end up being the MVP? He's kind of just always the like long forgotten stud, right? Like he's just so quiet and not flashy on the court. Like he like he's not hitting step back 35 footers like Lillard is or Steph is. And um he's not doing the passes Jokic is, and he's not even like LeBron level, obviously. And I think. I think there's basically no shot and the odds are kind of telling you that. And I, I think we actually had talked about this on one of the betting broadcasts we did. I think it was two weeks ago. Um, it was some sort of imaginary hypothetical prop bet, but it was, would you bet on Kawhi to win an MVP in the next five years or Devin Booker? I, I don't know. I think the Suns and Clippers are potential. I think they were playing each other. And that was an interesting question because I think if you were looking at two to three years, you would say Kawhi. But right now there's just this like, extraordinary like the league is just stacked there's all these stars and quite doesn't really fit that mold of a guy and plus you know he's getting load managed and he's missing games here and there they're never rushing to have him play all 82 or anything and with everyone and all these stars that are in the mix right now I, it's hard to see Kawhi doing it and then he's probably going to start tailing off eventually right just because of age and, and and what he'll be able to do and so I think what I ended up choosing for the hypothetical was Booker hoping that you know, Chris Paul eventually retires, is out of the mix, and Booker becomes this 30 and 10 guy in three years or something. It's possible. Um, but it's an interesting question. But I, it gets to the point where I think Kawhi, yes, overlooked, underrated as a player and impact wise. He's one of the best five guys still in the league, in my opinion. 
but the MVP markets, you know, they don't care. And it ultimately is who's going to vote for who and you're handicapping voters in the end. So uh, there's, it's just a twist that you have to consider. Well, I, I guess the, the reason that I would bring him up, he's 40 to one right now to win the MVP. If the Clippers do end up with the one seed, you'd have one to think seed. that yeah. is a big boost for him. And then it's just kind of on, we've seen Embiid get hurt, LeBron get hurt, Giannis get hurt, uh, Lucas show up out of shape. Like what if, what if Jokic gets hurt? What happens then? Or are we just too deep into the season that it doesn't matter? <laughs> that man, all right. I'm I'm looking up the records right now. I'm pulling up the the standings, I should say, because I mean the other funny part about this is Utah had that extraordinary run, right? They still have the best record in basketball, I believe. Yeah, they do by about a game on the Sixers. And like no one's in the conversation from Utah because Gobert kind of takes care of the uh, defense and Mitchell and Conley have had great offensive seasons, you know, as the high usage guys. So the Clippers, let's see. Okay. So they're four games back. And then another thing is the Suns have, you know, the third best record or fourth best record in the NBA. And, you know, we're not talking about Chris Paul or Devin Booker at all. So I, I think it just kind of goes to the point that the league's so stacked and there's so many options, but if Jokic got hurt, if Embiid didn't come back in a week and LeBron was out for four to six weeks, and Giannis's knee thing, you know, ends up. I think you just have to at that point. Sure, Kawhi would climb the list. You're right; he wouldn't be forty to one anymore. But I think at that point, people would just have to get over the fact that James Harden punted a few games early on in the season, forced his way out of Houston. But he's been the most valuable player probably in the league at that point. If he makes this entire run, then that's only a game behind the Sixers, anyways, right? Like if they end up getting the one seed in the East or the best record in the league, and they didn't have Durant for the majority of it. I mean, you just have to give it to Harden, I think, at that point. It is, and it'll probably pain people to do it and voters to do it. But I think he's the guy that if Jokic got hurt, would become the new favorite. All right. Preston Johnson, at Sports Cheetah on Twitter. Can you give us any sort of information on what bets.tv might be? Bets TV, yeah. we. Uh, this will be, I guess, the first time uh, we'll throw it out there. But I, I appreciate you letting me give it a shout-out. So it's a new network I'm starting with some friends that uh, I want to have a daily show and we're building out a studio here in Southern California and it'll be a professional studio. I'm going to do uh, a daily show. I think will be called last word cheetah. It'll be a call-in show, which really it's kind of like old school radio meets sports betting. There's not really a show out there where the sports betting prognosticators are actually taking calls and talking about the games the audience wants to talk about or bet on. And so uh, we're going to do it. Uh, I don't know, one, two hours a day where we're getting things set up, but uh, it'll be one of the main shows, or we'll call it the flagship show of Bets TV. And eventually, hopefully, Bets TV is a you know network that is big in the space and has people from all over the place doing their own shows. And uh, we're going to grow it out. And uh, yeah, it should be a fun project. All right. Well, everyone, go check that out and follow Preston once again at Sports Cheetah to get more information once the network is up and launched, or at least when it's getting close to launch, so you can go subscribe sure. over there. Of course, subscribe to Mayo Media Network as well if you're watching out there. Smash the like button to the episode and give me your updated Final Four for the NCAA tournament. Remember to subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you got an extra 20 seconds in your day. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience. 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 Experience.